Jesus is risen, and for the last 40 days he has been with his disciples, encountering them anew and afresh, turning their worlds upside down, and by the very act of his resurrection has begun putting everything the right way up. And now he departs from them. And next week we mark Pentecost, the birth of the church. And we do that at Messy Church as well next Saturday. But let's not rush ahead to that great moment. Let's stay at this departure at least for a time. For here we are at the Mount of Olives, the place from where, Zechariah tells us, God was expected to appear to reign over all the earth. It's the same place from where Jesus began his Palm Sunday procession into Jerusalem. We have in the Acts reading volume two of Dr. Luke's writing about Jesus. And the ascension of Jesus has been described as the hinge between these two volumes, with one suggestion being that Acts could be described as Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit descends, and the church is born. And ascensions, while perhaps new, novel, and strange to us, would have been somewhat familiar to Jesus' followers, who may have recalled Elijah departing in his chariot of fire that we read about in 2 Kings. And with Elijah's departure, the mantle passed to Elisha. And with Jesus' ascension, the mantle passes to the church. That said, it's quite important to be clear what the ascension account is not. It's not just a matter of tidying up the story. We're saying an editor might go through an author's work and say, this Jesus character, he's born, he dies, he rises again, so what happens next? And so the ascension is inserted as a kind of way to put Jesus somewhere until he comes back. On the contrary, Jesus' ascension is the conclusion of the arc of the story. And it had been signaled much, much earlier, well back during Lent, when we met Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where Jesus tells him, No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And here in this encounter, we already see the foreshadowing of what the ascension magnifies, the glory of God. God did not dress up in a human body and then discarded at death, returning to some spiritual state. God's union to creation is permanent and enduring. The ascension proclaims and celebrates that Christ takes this creation into the full presence of God. We lift up our hearts, as sometimes we say here, as the disciples lifted up their heads, but not from some escapist spirituality from the trials and the troubles of this world. Not at all. If the incarnation is to teach us anything, it is this, that if we do not find God in our everyday life of work and sport and food and music and friends, then we do not find God at all. Jesus isn't absent. He hasn't disappeared from view or from the cosmos or from our lives. It's not as if he was on stage one minute and then disappears exiting stage left the next, waiting to be cued back on. He remains with us. He remains present on stage. 
And so the ascension, it directs our attention toward God as the proper basis of what it is to be human, what it is to be recreated by God, Saviour and Spirit. You know, left to our own devices, we are prone toward pride, we resist God at every turn, we make gods in our own image, we revert to sloth and inertia instead of mission and movement. We flee from God, even as God is seeking us out. But the ascension, as it follows the birth, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, is the triumph of God's yes over our no, to which in the face of God's at working in our lives, and by his spirit and in his church, through a flawed yet restored humanity, we can say, Amen. Jesus Christ did not suddenly become different or something than he already was at the ascension. He was still the one that he has always been, the one who had been born and lived and spoken and acted and, above all, suffered and died on the cross. But now, prefigured in the transfiguration, now here, finally and fully, the veil has been lifted and we can see Jesus in all his glory. Is it any wonder that the disciples were gaping up in the sky, wondering what had happened? At this time, Jesus had told them, and even here, they wanted him to stay with them, to keep teaching them. But in the best art of good storytelling, he shows rather than tells. The Gospel of John that Penelope read to us is, if I'm quite honest with you, a bit long-winded. It's a bit convoluted. It's a bit hard to understand. It's quite hard work, but I think it's because John is trying to tell us something, whereas the Acts reading we heard is showing us something. We are watching, along with the disciples, Jesus ascending into heaven. And on that, I'm reminded of two particular sayings which you may know. <clears throat> the first is this, describing someone as so heavenly-minded that they're of no earthly use. I don't know that that applies to anybody here, but there may be people we know that we can think of. And then this one, living above with the saints we love, that's glory. But living below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. <laughs> and that's where our gaze goes from being vertical to being horizontal. The work of God in this world through Christ is by the Spirit continuing in us, the church, together with one another, we worship the risen and ascended Christ. Not just in what we say and sing, but also in what we do. Ken Costa, who's a businessman who's attached to Holy Trinity Brompton, has a wonderful phrase that our workstation is our worship station. Our workstation is our worship station. Wherever we find ourselves during the week, in a classroom or in a lab or in legal chambers or in medical practice or in accounting or visiting the ill or caring for the elderly or raising children, wherever God plants us, that place is our worship station. That's where we can say yes and amen in worship to God, who by the birth, death, ministry, resurrection, and ascension of Christ restores and reconciles. 
And quite importantly, we don't do this alone. The ascension and Pentecost, which quickly follows, takes any sense of individual piety or even the loneliness of the Christian walk and says, as one community, we are stronger together. That's the message of Messy Church next week. We are stronger together. We come together to witness and to worship. Because sometimes our workstations, even when they are our worship stations, can feel like isolating experiences. Coming as we do up against those who don't see as we do, the radical, transformative, life-changing work of the Spirit in this world and in our lives. It may be that you are the only Christian in your workplace. It may be that you are the only Christian in your classroom. It may be that you're the only Christian in your community. And if COVID taught us anything, is how difficult it is to be a Christian apart from others and how much we need to come back together, to be stronger together in community as we witness and worship the living Christ. We need, I think, more often than we realize to have others come alongside us and to say things like this, I'll pray for you. I'm here for you. I'm listening to you. I'm walking alongside you. I'm caring for you. For those inside the church, as much, I'd suggest, as for those outside it, we need to be the hands of Christ. For as the poet says, he has no hands but ours. We might call that pastoral care. And there's a slight tangent, that word pastoral, reminds me, as it might you, of the good shepherd tending his sheep, of the dog show that I talked about a few weeks ago, of the one who comes and seeks and looks after us, who, in one way, we are here seeking to meet this need for pastoral care at live streams, is by encouraging life groups, who might meet together regularly in someone's home, or alternating between several homes, who might study scripture together, perhaps for a short time, maybe five or six weeks, and leave it at that, or maybe for longer. Maybe they'll meet weekly, maybe fortnightly, maybe monthly, as some existing groups do, who might have one leader, but could just as easily <clears throat> have several to share the load, who might have someone who makes cups of tea, or might have someone who brings their special blend to share. Where is Bede? Over there. There we go. To help people warm up to the idea of joining a life group if you're not already in one, and some of you, of course, are, we're proposing that these groups start in term three or could, in fact, start earlier. We'll provide resources of which we here at St Barnabas have plenty, but you may have some of your own. So if this is a way of something that interests you, a way for you to take the vertical gaze of the glorified Christ to a horizontal gaze, of this his blessed community of saints. And it's kind of interesting to think about the people that we sit next to, that we rub shoulders with as saints, because we are. This blessed community of saints, a way in which you might encourage others and feel encouraged yourself at your workstations and at your worship stations, a way that together you can say yes and amen to the work of God in the lives of those we cherish 
and we know and love, then do come next week after live streams to the Makora Room where we can talk some more and see what comes. Or if you can't make it to that, reach out to me or any member of Logos during the week and we'll have a chat. And remember, this is one way, as Missy Church's theme so aptly reminds us that we can be stronger together when we meet together uh, on a regular basis. Because it's not always possible in a service like this to connect with people. In the busyness of a Sunday, as people come and go, if there are things on your heart and you want to share them with people in a group like that, then we invite you to do that. That's one practical way, among many, of course, of being the hands and feet of Christ. It's one outworking of the ascension, but it is not the end of the story. As Jesus ascended into heaven, so he will return. And what a glorious and triumphant and wonderful day that will be. It will finish the story through which we are living. The moment between the now and the not yet. This moment that is characterized, yes, by joy, but also by great suffering. That moment will come to its majestic conclusion. Where all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. As John concludes Revelation and all of Scripture, so we conclude with anticipation and eagerness and prayer. The one who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Lord, hear our prayer 